learning where to order things, how to scale a recipe, how to fix it when it was not turning out the way that it turned out for me at home. Those were all huge challenges for me because I didn't have a lot of resources to turn to. CEOs often feel stuck in the grind of scaling their business and feel like they're missing out on the best parts of life, like family, friends, or travel. On this podcast, CEOs come to take themselves and their companies to the next level. Let's dive into the Millionaire Mind with your host, Dallin Schultz. Hey, welcome back to another Millionaire Mind episode where I have some of the most successful business owners sharing what motivates them to get out of bed every morning and how they elevate themselves and their companies to the next level. And I've got another great guest joining us today. Successful business owners usually start with a passion or the solution to a problem that they've recognized as a common need amongst a certain group. And sometimes it's a little bit of both. Our guest today took a childhood passion and skill set and turned it into a reality, but she didn't jump right into it. Her journey took her through a successful corporate job and eventually into her current business pursuit, which she has been able to leverage and use to help serve people in her community and church while providing one of America's favorite desserts. So a special welcome to our guest today, Cheryl. Cheryl, appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So if this is your first time tuning in, we appreciate you being here. Super excited about our guest today and our interview with Cheryl. Cheryl and I had a chance to connect last week. And what was supposed to be a 15-minute intro call ended up turning into an hour-long conversation. And we just we hit it off. We had a really good conversation and really excited to get her on the show and, and to share with you a little bit about her journey and some of the challenges, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So Cheryl, why don't you just take two minutes and share with our listener a little bit about who you are and what you're doing today and what business you're involved in and who you serve. And then we'll take it back and we'll talk about the journey and what it took for you to get to where you are. Okay, great. So currently, um, well, I'm the owner of Pyfection. We have started a location in Mesa in 2012. We opened our second location in 2020 in Scottsdale. We are currently just waiting for our third location to open in Chandler. We've had construction issues, as you probably hear from everyone post-COVID and also the uh, construction boom right now. And then I am signing a lease for a location in Queen Creek probably today. So we have lots of exciting things on the horizon. That's awesome. And so you have this this Pyfection store. You, it's a bakery, you serve pies, anything else that you serve, or is that your main focus? So we make homemade pies. We make everything from scratch. So what really differentiates us from anyone else is that we do everything from scratch. We make our own dough. We make all of our own fillings. We make our own uh, whipped cream every day, many times a day. We do all of our crusts from scratch. Uh, We do everything in this little tiny bakery from scratch. We sell rolls. We do not make them, but we sell them. Uh, We make quiches and we have uh, five different kinds of quiche and seven different types of savory pot pies. So anything around pie is what we do. Wow. That's incredible. And you started this in 2012. And you said your first store was open in 2012. 2012 was your first store. And then you opened up your second location eight years later. And then within, I mean, it's 2023. So within two to three years, you're opening up two more. So this really ended up taking off. And that's what I want to hear more about as we get into it. Because that growth and that progression, I think what a lot of businesses go through, kind of a slow start, trying to decide how it's working if it's going to serve the people that they want it to, and then it just takes off. So really excited to get into that. But Cheryl, let's take it back. 
how the heck does somebody even get into the pie and, and bakery industry? So I have always had a passion for food from the time I was a little girl. You know, I had a couple of friends who had a really good, their mother was a really great cook and I loved to spend time at her house, specifically one friend. And when all of the other girls were downstairs playing dolls or whatever, I was upstairs watching her cook. And uh, my grandmother was an amazing pie maker. She, to this day, she still makes the best crust. Well, she's no longer with us, but her crust is still better than mine. Unfortunately, I have to say that. <laughs> and, uh, and my mom made great pies too, but I've always had a passion for food. I've always been a foodie, love to cook, love to eat and love anything surrounding food. And I've always said, oh, wouldn't it be fun to have a little restaurant or a little bakery or something like that. But I had a big corporate career and I could never afford to jump off that cliff because I was making too much money in the corporate world. And it was just a little unnerving to me. But looking back, I wish so bad that I would have done it years ago because this is so much more fulfilling than being in corporate America. And okay. it's and it's my passion. Let's talk about this because what you just said there is, is something that I, I was hoping we'd get into further on in the conversation. And you brought it up right now. So let's dive <laughs> into it. You started this corporate job and, and it sounds like you were doing very well financially. And it's not uncommon for people to go down that path and have these golden handcuffs, right? They might have a different passion, desire, dream that they want to follow, but they go to college, they get a degree, they get a good job, they're making good money and they delay that. But you said, looking back, you wish you started it sooner. So invite us into that thought process and what it was that, that caused you to share that with us. I love, love, love what I'm doing now. I have a huge passion for it. At the same time, I learned so much in my corporate career, and I believe truly that that's what made me successful. And that's what has made me what I am today. If you look at the statistics of um, small businesses that succeed, it's 50% that fail within the first year. Now, if you look at food industry businesses that, that are startups within the first year, you can see statistics. I've looked at these statistics many times, and you can see stati statistics anywhere from 60 to 95% of small businesses in the food industry that fail within the first year, and even more within the first five years. So uh, I, I think that it's a hard to really capture that true statistic, but it's a very high number. Let's just say that. And so I think that's one thing that has always prevented me from doing that. But I had the opportunity then, and I worked in human resources for probably 15 years of my career. And then I moved on to banking. And when I was in the banking world, the bank that I worked for actually hired me to run their HR. But what they do is they put you through a six-month training period. I spent three weeks in every different department. And then I would write a white paper on each department and how they could improve and what they could do differently. And at the end of my training period, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, no way. I don't want to go into HR anymore. I want to go into operations. That was much more exciting to me. So they put me in operations and I was able to be in a startup position. And in my career, I've done a lot of startups and that just fires me up. That is my gig. I love startups. I was able to start their internet banking and they were a late bloomer in the internet banking world. But I started with five employees. And uh, when I left there, I had 250 employees. It was just... Wow. It, it, that just fires me up. I really love startups. And I realized that was really my passion. And I learned a lot in every single 
position that I had, I learned a lot about startups. When I was working in the grocery industry, I learned a lot about forecasting numbers. I learned how to forecast sales, how to analyze sales, which is huge in my business right now. People ask me all the time, how do you know what to prepare for Easter? How do you know what to prepare for Thanksgiving? I have impeccable records about what we sell every year. And so I know almost exactly what we're going to sell. As a matter of fact, we used to do orders and it's so difficult to track orders here. We were tracking anywhere from two to 3,000 orders for Thanksgiving wow. and it becomes a nightmare. And we can actually make twice as many pies if we don't take orders. So I can afford to throw away pies, in fact, and still come out ahead by not taking orders. It's Interesting. a little to some people, but we can get people in and out a lot quicker. When we were taking orders, people were waiting in line for an hour to find their orders and finally, one day I said, this is crazy. Why are we doing this? Let's just overbake everything, have everything available on a smaller limited menu. So we have probably 75% of our menu at Thanksgiving, and, but we don't require orders. You just come in and we got people in and out of here last year. They didn't wait longer than 20 minutes. And I wish I had a picture of the line that I could share with you to show you how crazy our lines are. Do you have a picture? Uh, I do. Why don't you email it over to me and we I can will. include it on the show notes. So as you're sharing this, Cheryl, I couldn't help but to think about the story of Ray Kroc, founder of yeah. McDonald's, right? And there's this movie that they put out called The Founder, and it showed Great his movie. frustration going to a restaurant, ordering a meal, sitting there, waiting for it to show up. And then he heard about this McDonald's chain out in California and he shows up and within minutes he's got his food and he's like, what is happening here? So it seems like you took on a similar approach with your Pyfection rather than making to order because of the KPIs, the key performance indicators that you're being able to track what you need our customer you, demand. Yeah, yeah. Your customer demand and and knowing what you need, you're able to allocate your team's resources into actually creating the pies, not focusing on the orders, which creates a faster turnaround. So that's incredible. Now, I want to go back to your corporate job for a minute because you mentioned how you wish you started this sooner, but then you followed that up with, I think there is a lot of things I learned in my corporate job that enabled me to be successful. So... What were some of those specific things that you were able to take from your corporate job and be able to apply to starting a successful food business, knowing that there is such a high percentage of failures within the first year? So let me just start that with this thought. First of all, I am not a classically trained chef at all. I don't know anything about the food business. And I didn't when I started this. I knew nothing about it. Uh, and it. there's a lot to learn in the food industry. There's a lot to learn. Like I didn't even know where to order things. I didn't know anything. I just had this thought in my mind. If you build it, they will come. I took what I knew personally. I know a lot about cooking because I have done it so much. And I've done it for so many years. And my husband always makes fun of me that you know, other people read novels. I read cookbooks. I love to read cooks. I can always learn from anybody. So that's the first thing is that it's my passion. And I think that's what drives me is my passion. But in terms of learning from my previous positions, like I mentioned, when I was in the grocery industry, I learned a lot about forecasting. I learned a lot about labor allocation. Um, I never would have known that, that you can only allocate certain percentage of your sales to for your labor. And so we keep those numbers very, very tight. We have to. 
we have to keep our numbers very tight in terms of what is our food cost. That's another thing that I learned. One of the most important things, when I worked in the banking industry, I used to travel all over the US because we had banks all over and I did leadership development training. And so what I would do is I would go to several different locations and would train our managers and our upper level leaders. And I trained them in things like all kinds of leadership development. So as well as that, I did customer service. So I've had a lot of customer service experience in my career as well. And my motto there is that I tell all of our employees, we are the Nordstrom of pies. I don't care why somebody brings back a pie. I don't care if you think it was a perfect pie. It's what that customer thinks. So we take care of our customers regardless. I learned a lot about customer service. I've learned a lot about leadership development through my career in HR. That's been a huge blessing as well. I don't have to outsource my HR. I can do all that in-house. In terms of interviewing and hiring, I had all of those skills. I had all the leadership development skills. So I've been very, very blessed. And I really think that that's where a lot of small businesses fail is that they don't have that business experience. Again, they take the thought that I'm a great technician and so I can be a great business owner. That is so not the case. It takes both, right? You got to have the technician and you got to have the mind. Look at Steve Jobs and Wozniak, right? Like the startup of Apple, you know, Steve Jobs was the brain. He had the ideas and then Woz was the one that had the technical knowledge to actually build the computers. And it really takes both those sets. And Cheryl, it sounds like you were in a unique opportunity and situation, even though you were in the corporate W-2 space, it was more of an intrapreneurship role. When you got in with this banking company and you were able to be a part of a startup within that organization. So you had an opportunity to go through and start a business or a division, if you will, without having to take on all the personal financial risk yourself. So what did you learn through that process of that startup and not having that same financial risk as you experienced going off on your own and starting this bakery? So I learned that not only when I was in the banking world, but also when I worked for the largest privately held grocery chain in the US in Texas, it's called HEB. And I worked for them for many, many years. And I was able to start their flagship store locations and be a part of that. That was also a huge learning curve for me to be able to apply here at Pyfection as well. So one of the things that I learned with both of those is that we started slow until we really got our feet on the ground and got a feel for where the demand was going to come from and what we needed to look like. We didn't just open 20 stores all at once and we didn't just blow the door open for this internet banking that I started. We started very slow and we built up slowly until we really had a good handle on it. And that's why I think you see my progression with Hyfection. I started in 2012. We had one location for eight years till we really got a handle on what things were going to look like before we jumped off the cliff and just started to grow like crazy. So let's talk about that transition. So at what point did you decide, hey, I'm done with the corporate world and I'm ready to pursue this passion of mine of opening up a bakery? You know, part of it was just being in the right place at the right time. Because when I left the banking world, I had a nice out package. And so I was able to just kind of look around and see what I wanted to do. And I helped my husband with his business, his engineering business for a while. And I realized that really was not my passion. I wanted to do something that was more fulfilling. And there was a pie shop in the location where we are right now. 
And one day I came to get a pie here. They had decent pies. I came to get a pie and it was just closed. The doors were closed. So we started with a partner and our partner also bought pies here. And he's like, hey, we got a great opportunity here. He's really good at looking at opportunities and noticing where there's a great hole. And I said, that's awesome because there's not any place that makes great scratch pies. And it's hard to find that, you know, Marie Callender's, they used to make decent pies, but they're gone almost everywhere. So there's not a lot of competition in that space. And we recognized a need and said, this could really be successful if we do it right. And since I had the food knowledge, we took off with it. And three months later, our partner realized how much work it was. And he's like, "Mm, I'm tapping out. (laughs) He had four small kids. So for very good reason. And when we opened this, I honestly lived, breathed and died here for 18 months. I never left this bakery. Well, you just shared that's what a startup takes. And a lot of people have come up with fabulous ideas. They see opportunities, they come up with fabulous ideas, but it takes those people that are willing to really push through and live, breathe, sweat, cry, do whatever they've got to do to get things off the ground. So you saw the opportunity, you started the bakery. What was one of the biggest challenges during that first year when most businesses fail? What were some of the challenges that you experienced? And then what did you do to push through those to make sure that you would be successful? So part of the challenge for me was, like I told you, I am not a classically trained chef. I've never worked in the food industry other than when I was in college. I put myself through college by working at a pizza joint, but that's the closest that I've ever come to being in the food industry. So for me, that was a huge learning curve, even though, you know, being a home chef is a totally different world. They don't even translate to being in the food industry. So learning where to order things, how to scale a recipe, how to fix it when it was not turning out the way that it turned out for me at home. Those were all huge challenges for me because I didn't have a lot of resources to turn to. So that's why I was here for 18 months, day and night, and never left because whenever there was an issue, there was only one person to turn to to fix it. And that was me. So I also knew that I had to be the one to understand this business and understand the process better than anyone in order for me to be successful. I had to be able to teach that to someone else. So that's why I was here constantly making sure that everything was perfect, making sure that our customer service was where it should be, making sure our processes were documented, our recipes were changed. All of those things had to be done and they had to be done by me because I knew that I had to be the one to understand it so that I could then uh, replicate it. My goal also was, I told my husband that when we started this, we only had a three-year lease when we started. And I said, if in three years, this place cannot run without me there, I'm going to terminate my lease. I don't want to be a slave to the bakery. I want to always have a say. I want to always have my hand on quality and on recipe development and business development and business management, but I don't want to have to be there all the time. Plus, I'm too old to work in the kitchen now. You know, I'm too old. It's backbreaking work. I'm telling you, it is backbreaking. And um, at the end of that three years, that was my goal the entire time is that I had to have it up and running at that point. And at the end of three years, I had a great manager. It was running amazing. And I was very happy with our progress. So I could check the box there. That's awesome. And you mentioned previously that going into this, you had an idea, you run tight numbers. You say, hey, we can only spend certain percent on labor. We can only spend certain percent on food and and materials. You knew that going into this, starting this, correct? And so that, would you say that that played a significant role getting through that first year? 
Oh, absolutely. I see new businesses that start up and they will just, you know, put everything, they have no limit with their expenditures. And you cannot start a business like that. You can't just spend whatever you want and hope that they will come. You have to always control your numbers. You've always got to have your thumb on the labor expenses, on the food costs, and watch those impeccably. You can't just let that go. And I think that's what a lot of businesses do. Somebody I look up to quite a bit, shared, super successful, super successful, and shared the same idea. He talks about the money coming in the front door. So that's your revenue coming in. But he's like, you've got a back door as well. And if you're not careful, that money's going to come right in through that front door and right out the back. And so you've got to keep a good pulse on those numbers. You've got to understand what you can actually budget for and how you need to invest that capital, especially in a startup. Because people get all excited and they're like, hey, we need this $20,000 website. We need this massive office. We need all these business cards. We need all this all this stuff that in reality, like, yes, it's important, but is that where you should be spending your time and energy and effort? And I'm really tight on those because when I worked in the grocery industry, in the grocery industry, they call it, they call it shrink, whatever come, whatever comes in the front door that is not accounted for in sales is, is called shrink. And so we're really careful about our shrink numbers here. Awesome. If you don't mind sharing, Cheryl, what was your revenue in that first year of starting up? Wow, that was a lot of years ago. Let's see. Our revenue was first year, I think it was 300000 our first year. In your first year. And then your goal was within three years to keep a pulse on the business, not necessarily be in the business. So as you started scaling, you got this manager there. What kind of growth did you see over those next few years? We have seen continual growth every year. We've had no less than a a 10% growth every year. Usually it's somewhere between 15 and 20%. And during COVID, we had amazing growth. And I attribute that to two things. I was just going to ask why you think that is. People got bored sitting at home and, and just got the munchies and cravings or what? Well, we were very lucky because where we're located, we were considered an essential business. So we okay. did not have to close our doors, not even a day. And during that time, there were very few places that people could go to find quote unquote comfort food. But this was one place that they could come to find comfort food. Our business grew 133% during COVID. Oh now, we did open a second uh, location during that year. So that was part of it. But typically, when you open a new location, you don't experience that kind of growth. But we were up 133% during COVID. So as of this interview, you've got two ongoing locations with one that you should be signing a lease for today, which is super exciting. And then a fourth one that you're working with the city to try to get things in place. So with these two companies, these two locations, the most recent one opening in 2020, what did you experience these last couple of years? And what type of growth are you projecting opening up these two additional stores? Well, I would not have normally opened two stores this close back to back like this, but I've been trying to get location in Queen Creek for over two years. And Queen Creek has experienced such amazing growth that you cannot even find real estate there. So that's been a huge challenge for us. And I actually had an insider that tipped me off on this location before they even listed it. And so I was able to get in on that before anybody else was competing for it. So I was very lucky, but normal that not happened, I wouldn't have been opening both of these. So, so um, back to back, it's not normally a smart move to grow that quickly. But I know that Queen Creek is going to be successful. We have come into the bakery all the time from different cities and say, 
when are you coming to the city? When are you coming to the city? And our number one request has been Queen Creek since the day we opened. So that's why I know that it's going to be an amazing location. That's awesome. And you have, I mean, you've been running it since 2012. So you have your systems, you have your processes, you have a good product, you got the social proof, you've got people asking for it. So although opening two stores so closely together is not what you've done not previously, recommended. <laughs> not recommended. I'm excited for to your see. Health. <laughs> I, I'm excited to see the type of growth that that's going to bring to to you and your business. So with two stores, okay, you discussed some challenges starting out this first store. Once you acquired that second store, were there any new challenges bringing in a new location or was it just a little bit more of the same? No, absolutely. There are more challenges. My biggest concern has always been quality because I don't want to lose quality. People ask me all the time, when are you going to franchise this? I'm not sure we'll ever franchise because you lose the ability to control the quality when you franchise. Um, You look at businesses that are successful, they're typically, not always, but typically they're single owner. Um, so that the owner can continue to control that. And it's very difficult with franchising to do that. That's been my biggest concern. And so what I have is I have a general manager that will manage all of these. So she will spend at least one day in every single store. And she has an amazing control on quality as well. And she knows that that's my number one concern. So Uh, that's always the biggest concern. And then there's things like a distribution, you know, trying to get the same products there. We have so many different vendors that we deal with and trying to get them to go to two locations. And that's also been a challenge. So I had a question earlier, a thought, if you will. You mentioned when you were starting out, you would, I don't know if you'd start these recipes at home, make an A pie or two pies. But when you said, hey, we've got a good recipe here, we want to mass produce this. Was there any challenges in taking expanding those recipes? Was it more than just multiplying? Did you have to alter the ingredients a little bit more because you're creating more at one time? It's definitely a a bigger issue. Let Let me give you an example of that. We had a, in our Mesa location, we were using a 60 quart mixer to mix our dough. Well, we just can't make dough fast enough in a 60 quart mixer. So I bought a 120 quart mixer and we started to make our dough in that. And I cannot tell you how many batches of 120 quart mixer <laughs> full of dough that we ruined because the, the recipe did not scale. And it took us, oh, it took us probably a month to finally get that recipe down. And it's not like you can, there's no other way to, to do it other than just make it over and over and over and make the adjustments. And that was a huge learning curve for us going from a 60 quart to a 120 quart mixer. The dough just was not the same. Isn't that life and business though? Yeah. Whenever you're looking to, to scale and you get out of your comfort zone and you start something new, you've got to pivot. You've got to change. Like what you did before, it didn't work. So you have to learn, you have to adapt, you have to fail, you have to overcome, you have to problem solve, you have to try new things. And then finally, you get that recipe just right. You get that recipe. It's even little things like uh, we started the bakery in Mesa with a a large, it's called a a carousel oven. And and, um, we just didn't have the capacity with that one oven. We can only bake 120 pies at a time in that oven. Only? (laughs) Yeah. Only 120 pies. And, And we couldn't make it through Thanksgiving by doing that. And unfortunately, that is our, that's our bottleneck. Thanksgiving is what we have to play to because that's our largest um, production. 
production. So we had another oven installed. We had a rack oven installed and it will bake 200 pies at a time. Well, even just a different oven, we had to adapt all of our recipes with that different oven. We had to start again from scratch, figuring out what we had to do differently to bake it in that oven. So we have different instructions for each oven that we have. And you wouldn't have been able to figure that out unless you went through it yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And that, listen, if you're listening to this, I'm telling you that is business and that is life. You've got to go forward knowing that things are going to change. There's going to be curveballs thrown at you and you've got to like, don't get frustrated. I mean, keep pushing. It's going to happen. It's part of that journey. It's part of that process. But as you continue to pivot and make those small tweaks, you're going to create a business. You're going to create a life that's setting you up, your family for success so that you can really capitalize on the opportunities that are being presented to you. I think that's an incredible metaphor, if you will, Cheryl. And and you probably didn't even realize what you were sharing, but I was like, I've got to draw on this because that is, that's what this is all about. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, and those things, some of those things are foreseen. We knew when we changed from a 60 quart to 120 quart, there were going to be some issues. We knew when we had another oven, we may have to play with that for a little while. But I'll tell you, there's some bombs that hit you that you don't know are coming. For example, during COVID, we lost the ability to get a crucial starch. We have three ingredients that we know will shut this bakery down that we can only get from one supplier. So my manager, she knows she has to keep an eye on those three key ingredients because if we run out of those, we shut the bakery down. Well, during COVID, we could no longer get this starch and it's a starch you can't buy at the grocery store. You can't get it anywhere. It's a modified starch that will freeze well. It will, it lasts a lot longer than a corn starch. It's an incredible starch to use in a mass production environment. We can't get that to this day. So we, again, had to pivot and we tried, I can't tell you how many recipes we tried with different starches to try to get the product as close to what it was before. Is it still what it was? No, it's still better with that old starch, but I don't have a choice. I can't get it anywhere. And the only places that are getting that are commercial bakeries, the big the people that do freezer pies or they're getting that starch and none of the little guys can get that starch anymore. So we have to use a different product and it's probably 97% there. Do I wish I had that other starch? Yes. <laughs> but this was a challenge that was unexpected. Absolutely. And, and you could have thrown your hands up, said, hey, it's done. We're shutting the doors. It, it's not going to be the same. But instead you pivoted. You pivoted yeah. and you found opportunities to keep pushing because of what you believed in and because of the product that you knew you could deliver. And you know, I have a great relationship with a lot of the bakery owners around here. And I had other bakery owners calling me saying, what are you doing? And I said, we're just experimenting. We just keep pushing through and we just keep experimenting, trying a a decent solution. So we've got it the best we can get it right now. We're hoping someday to get that starch back, but I don't know. I love that. So Cheryl, do you see this going more than these four stores you're going to open up? Like, is there any end in sight for you? (laughs) You know, my husband asks me that all the time because he just retired. He's saying, hey, I'm ramping down and you're ramping up. What's the deal here? So right now, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really not sure. I, this is such a passion for me. I love to do it. I, I don't ever see myself not doing this. I really don't because I like it so much. And as long as I don't have to have a 15-hour day here at the bakery every day, life's good. And as long as we can still travel, that's great. You know, at some point, will I give it up? I don't know. At some point, will I expand? I'm not sure. And right now, you're just enjoying the ride. I'm just enjoying the ride and having a great time. I love it. I've got to ask you, Cheryl, do you ship pies? For our listener that might be out of state, would they be able to get 
access to one of your pies. We have shipped pies all over the United States. We have also shipped them to Japan. We have shipped them to Chile. We've shipped them all over and they ship really well. Not all of our pies ship, but if you look at our website, um, uh, we have a lot of shelf stable pies that, that ship very well. Awesome. Good to know. That was probably the most important question I could have asked you <laughs> on this interview on behalf of our listener. Well, Cheryl, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. And I feel like there's so much more that we didn't get into that we could have unpacked. But I do sh- appreciate you talking about that transition and the lessons that you learned from your W-2, from your corporate that helped set you up to be successful. And I just love seeing people crushing it. I love seeing people chasing oh. their passion, chasing their dreams, and and really making a difference. And and you've been able to use this this restaurant, this bakery, to help other people out, to give youth and young men and women opportunities to earn some money and do some very important things that they've been wanting to do with their life as well. And you shared that with me the other day. So incredible opportunity that you've done. You're doing something that you love. Obviously, you're very passionate and energetic about it. And who can't when you're talking about pie? Like if you've got a sweet tooth, like pie makes everything better. So absolutely love it. But Cheryl... Let me tell you what our mission here is. Our mission is to create, help families create memories around the table with family and friends. And there's nothing that makes me happier than on Thanksgiving Day. If you could, I'll send you the picture of this line, but it goes down our parking lot, around the parking lot, into the retention basin, around the next building, and to the side of their building. It's incredible. And when I walk out there every Thanksgiving morning, which, well, Wednesday before Thanksgiving is our busiest, and I see that line, I get tears in my eyes every time. And I walk out there and I talk to the customers and tell them how grateful I am for them. And thanks for being great pie fans, but there's nothing that makes me happier than knowing that we are accomplishing our mission. That Nothing evokes memories like food. And um, when I know that we can evoke memories and plant those seeds of, of great times around the table with family and friends, nothing makes me happier. I absolutely love that. And for those that have those strong families and love food as well, they can enjoy that. They can enjoy it and really create these opportunities and experiences and memories is really what it comes down to. So Cheryl, as we wrap this up, I've got to ask you these four questions that we ask all of our guests because everybody, I've realized every guest we have on the show has books, quotes, experiences, advice, things that they wish they knew back when they got started. So I like to ask these questions to our guests to get some of their thoughts and insight to share with our listener. So what is one absolute book recommendation that for those looking to scale and further develop their millionaire mind? So I love to read business books. I love to read leadership books. And I, uh, we always had uh, in our leadership training, we always recommended a lot of books. So I've read a lot of business books. And there's so many that I could give you. But in regards to, we have several businesses. My husband and I have several businesses. But when it comes to perfection, the most important book that I have ever read, and it's a 100-year-old book. It was actually published in, uh, I think it was published in the 70s, The E-Myth. And even though it's an old, old book, it is the most applicable book to my business today. I read it before I ever had my own business. And I have referred back to that book, I can't tell you how many times, because I don't want to be in the, I don't want to work in the business. I want to work on the business. And that's the most important thing that I have looked, that I learned years ago before I even started this business was to know that I cannot work in the business and be successful. I have to work on the business. And the irony of that book, if anyone has read it, is it is really about uh, someone that owns a pie shop. How about that? 
<laughs> Look at that. That's incredible. That book recommendation has come up multiple times. And so if you're really looking to grow and scale a business, the best way you can do that is to make sure you're working on it and not in it. And I believe that that's why so many people either fail or limit themselves from scaling because they get too in the weeds on their business exactly. and they're not delegating effectively and efficiently. Yeah. So Cheryl, what has been one of your favorite quotes that you've embodied and lived by? Oh, this is this is my own quote. And I tell I tell my team this all the time. Don't ever think you have arrived, ever. We are constantly striving, constantly trying to perfect, constantly trying to do things better, but don't ever think you've arrived. The minute you think you've arrived, you're going to lose your business. The minute you think you've arrived, you realize you got to go from a 60-quart mixer to a 120-quart mixer. (laughs) Exactly. You know, you become complacent when you think you've arrived. And that's so dangerous in this space. Recognize it as a continual journey of growth. It's not once you hit a certain revenue. It's not when you hit a certain amount of stores. It's not when you hit a certain amount of products sold. It's focus on the journey, who you're becoming, who you're impacting, who you're serving, and just know that that's what this is all about. It's really to push ourselves and to push those around us to get to that next level. I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's an excellent quote. So Cheryl, if there was one thing that you could share with fellow business owners that are beginning simply that are that are beginning or simply trying to get to that next level, what would it be? This is Cheryl's golden nugget. Like what do you know now that you wish you knew then? I would say don't grow too fast. You need to take all the time you need in order to perfect your product, perfect your service, perfect your staff. But I think that's the best thing that I have done personally is that I did not grow too fast. You allowed it to grow organically and at the right pace to be able to now scale at the rate that you're you know, sometimes when you feel success, you get that adrenaline and you think, oh, I'm going to do this again, do this again, do this again. And I have seen so many businesses fail that have grown too fast. Um, I know there was, a, there was a grocery chain that opened here in the Valley, no, probably 10, 12 years ago. And when I saw their growth, every corner you saw a new grocery store. And I said to several of my friends, you watch in a year, they're going to be out of business. And they were, they were all out of business because they grew too fast. You've got to have growing a business is like growing a home or building a home, right? Like you've got to have that strong foundation. And if you're not spending time on that foundation and just going vertical too prematurely, that structure is going to fail. So Cheryl, how can our listeners get their hands on a pie? How can they learn more about you and what it is that your business does? So we are online. We're on Facebook, Hyfection AZ. We're on Instagram. We're everywhere. <laughs> you can see us everywhere. Look at our website, perfectionaz.com. Uh, you can call us. You can um, stop in. We have a location, like I said, in Mesa, one in Scottsdale, one in Chandler, hopefully opening in two weeks. And then within the next uh, four months, we should be open in Queen Creek. Awesome. That's so exciting. You can call us also, uh, 480-218-PIES. Very easy to reach us. 480-218-PIES. Love it. 7437. 
Look, this has been a, an incredible conversation with Cheryl. And if this is your first time listening, I'm so glad that you tuned in. People have been asking me what my company does. So since I have you here listening to my show, I'll share that with you now. My company partners with busy professionals just like Cheryl that are looking to experience significant tax savings, have more to invest, and even reinvest their hard-earned capital. And we work with other successful business owners like you by offering them opportunities to invest alongside us in large apartment deals. At Rev, we found that the most successful business owners have a strong desire to give and to serve, and we help them grow and preserve their wealth so that they can give more abundantly and freely. And we believe that apartments to be the best vehicle to do just that. So if you've been wanting to get involved in apartment investing, but you've been too busy to figure out where or how to start, then you can find out how I could serve you by visiting investwithrev.com and schedule a 15-minute discovery call. It can be overwhelming vetting the right investment and the right operator, but at Rev, we make apartment investing easy. Cheryl, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for for sharing your journey and, and that transition to myself and to our listener. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Excellent. And to our listener, remember, you can't have a million-dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. So go out there and earn your win for today, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you. Hope you got value from this episode of The Millionaire Mind, a journey into the mindset of successful business owners. If you want to get results, you've got to take the right steps to get there. Dallin hosts a free weekly educational webinar focused on teaching you how to start investing in apartments so you too can experience the benefits of real estate ownership without doing any of the heavy lifting. There you can gain insights, connect with others like you, and ask Dallin all your burning questions about how you can start owning apartments today. Go to themillionairemind.us. That link is in the show notes.